weeks. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew chapter 1. And the next uh, three weeks, I'll be preaching on Christmas blessings. And I want to remind you that God made us for more than to get, but to give, and more, to, more than to be served, but to serve. And so we want to remind ourselves that the blessings God gives to us, He gives for us to be a blessing, not just to have and hold blessings, but in order to be a blessing. And so I want us to look at Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read beginning with verse 18, but I ask you to hold your Bibles open because I'll look at the whole chapter, parts of the whole chapter. So let's read, uh, talk this morning about Jesus, the ultimate blessing, and I'll read beginning with verse 18 of Matthew 1. The Bible says, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Well, let's note a couple of principles here as we talk about the blessings of Christmas, the blessings that God gives to us. And each week as we look at this, we'll note how God blesses us for a reason. Two basic principles I want you to note. Number one, God blesses us through the people he uses. He blesses us through the people he uses. And I'm going to talk with you this morning about four kinds of people God uses. Maybe you'll see yourself in some of these. And we'll talk about these four different kinds of people God, God blesses. And, and so hold your Bibles open. We're going to look at some of the genealogy. If you're reading through the Bible, you might skip over the genealogy. If you read through the New Testament, and I want to encourage you to do that on your own, to read the whole New Testament uh, you might be tempted just to skip over this, but the more you get to know about the Bible, you, the more you'll know some of these names. So let's note four kinds of people God uses, and I'll mention each of these groups. Number one, uh, faithful people. God uses faithful people. And if you have your text open, let's just note a couple of the people that are spoken of here. Abraham, verse 2 says, Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac fathered Jacob, and on. Abraham was a great example of faith. The Bible tells us that Abraham was called by God to leave his home to go to a place he'd never seen, a place he didn't know. And by faith, Abraham just moved, just left and went to what we call the promised land. And he followed God and trusted God. And that would be a characteristic of his life. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 is a chapter that talks about the great heroes of faith. And Abraham is seen as a hero of faith because he trusted God. He believed God for great things. Or David found in verse 6. Jesse fathered King David. David uh, was a man who had some great moments of faith. I think of the story of when he was young and he, was, he faced this giant named Goliath in the Valley of Ella. Ella Valley is a, it, this, a few weeks ago when we were in Israel, we went to the Ella Valley and uh, it's still just you know, open, a, an open field now and the mountains on both sides. And we just went there and suggested the guys they could pick up a, one of the rocks like David used with Goliath. I actually, 
kind of coincidental. I actually found the very rock that hit Goliath in the head. It's amazing that I found that one among all the rocks there. But, man, it just was, I thought about the faith of that young guy who believed that God was big enough to take this young guy and defeat this giant. And God does that by faith. God does that. I mean, it's amazing how when we live by faith, God blesses. And then in verses 10 and 11, we see Hezekiah and Josiah, these two kings, lots of kings named here, but Hezekiah and Josiah were both really faithful to God in a time when not very many were. And they trusted the Lord. They turned the people back to God. They tried to worship the the Lord faithfully, and God used them. Or even Joseph. In verse 19, he's called a righteous man. That is, there's something about Joseph that just believed God. The Bible says uh, he did did what, as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He obeyed God just by faith. He believed. God uses faith. If you will be faithful to God, God will use you to bless other people. God will use you. If you'll open your eyes and live by faith, God will use you to be a blessing to others. There's a second kind of people God uses, and it's what I'll call broken people. Because in the genealogy of Jesus, every person mentioned here is broken. That is, all of sin, the Bible says, all fall short of the glory of God. All of us have been affected by sin, and we're all broken in that sense. But let's note some of the brokenness here. In verse 2, the Bible says, Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob. And Jacob was just an amazing guy in some ways. He just Sometimes he, he followed God, and sometimes he didn't. He's known as a deceiver. He would deceive his own brother. He found deception an easy way to live, and he's broken. And we see how God used him despite that. Or in verse 3, the Bible says, Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. You, you don't even want to know all the story of Judah, the brokenness in his life, his rebellion against God's commands and issues of sexuality and, and activity. Or verse 7 tells us about Rehoboam. Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Solomon who had the massive kingdom, great wealth and wise, but his son didn't follow in the same uh, wisdom. And because of that, he listened to the wrong people and he ended up seeing the kingdom divided in two. Or verse 10 tells us about a guy named Manasseh, one of the most wicked kings. And I tell you, there were many vying for that role as the most wicked king. But Manasseh is certainly high on that list of wicked kings of Judah. Broken people. Sometimes God works around broken people. Sometimes he works despite broken people. But sometimes God even works through broken people. He accomplishes his purposes whether we join him or not. But there is something great about broken people realizing God is able to use me still. Maybe you've come to this place saying God could never use someone like me, could never accomplish his purposes through me. The only kind of people God has are broken people. The only kind. And so he uses people who who have a history, who have some pain, who have some problems, who have some background. And he accomplishes his purposes. And if you will turn to him, you can find there's a God who is able to forgive and cleanse and restore and renew. As we repent, God forgives us and makes us new. There's a third kind of people God uses, and I'll call these surprising people, because in this genealogy are some people I would not have picked. Were I picking the lineage of Jesus, 
the means by which, the physical means, the earthly means by which God would come into this world, I would not have picked some of the people chosen here. In fact, they're all, as I mentioned, all broken, but let's note a couple of surprising people God uses. Verse 5 tells us about a couple of women who are used. Verse 5 says, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Now, if you know the story of Rahab, you may know that she is often called in the Old Testament story in Jericho, she's called Rahab the prostitute. That's how she's known. She's not even an Israelite. She, she's not with the people as they leave slavery and bondage in Egypt and go to the promised land. But somehow by faith, Rahab just, despite all the background, despite all the religious confusion in her life, despite all the moral confusion in her life, she surprisingly places her faith in God. She's grafted into the people of Israel. And the Bible tells us in verse 5 that Boaz is fathered by Rahab, not even an Israelite. And then in that same verse, we see a woman named Ruth. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, who had fathered Jesse, who had fathered King David. So in the lineage is this woman named Ruth. Ruth isn't from Israel. She's from Moab. And Moab was a wicked, terrible country, and yet her, her in-laws would come to Moab during a time of famine. She would marry, and then her husband would die, her brother-in-law would die, her father-in-law would die. The only one left was her mother-in-law. And she, instead of staying in Moab, would go back to Israel, and she said, your people will be, will be my people, and your God will be my God. And she came back to a little town called Bethlehem and ended up meeting a guy named Boaz and becoming the grandparents of a man named David who would be a king. We would not have picked in the lineage of Jesus a woman from Moab. And yet that's who God used. Or for that matter, Joseph and Mary are not the kind of people we might pick. They aren't famous. They aren't powerful. They aren't wealthy. And God uses Joseph and God uses Mary. Archaeologists have found some recent, recent archaeology, what they think is the, the burial place of this man named St. Nicholas, St. Nicholas of Myra, he's sometimes called. Nicholas was a fourth century bishop. A lot of things we have to, we know some about him, but a lot of things we have to speculate. He may have been this fourth century bishop named Nicholas. He, may, he might have been at the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D., there's some evidence that perhaps he was there. We don't know for sure, but legend says he may have slapped a heretic named Arius. So just watch out for St. Nicholas, just in case. He apparently came from a wealthy Greek family, one of the few people before Christendom came into the world who came from wealth. He gave gifts, one of the reasons besides the wise men that we'll get to eventually, um, one of the reasons we think about gift giving is because of what he did. He used his wealth to save a particular family from a life of destitution and some great pain and poverty and um, difficulty. Man, God just uses surprising people. Surprising people. And may I suggest that maybe all of us are in that same category. Maybe others wouldn't see us and say, I bet, God will, I bet God will use someone like that kid or God will use someone like that person. 
But God chooses to use people that the world, very often God used people who did, the world said that that's, that's not someone who's wealthy or powerful. And many of the early Christians were people who came from poverty or difficulty or struggle, who had brokenness in their lives or in their background or in their families. Surprising people. And then number four, God uses willing people, willing people. One of the reasons God used some of these people, sometimes God would work despite them, but very often God worked with them and through them. Guys like Abraham, who was willing to be used by God, he just simply obeyed God in some big moments in life. He was willing to do what God wanted him to do. The reason God used David was because David was willing to be used. He certainly wasn't a perfect man, as we know from the stories of the Bible, but he was willing to be used to stand before a giant. Why did God use someone like Joseph? Because he was willing to be used. The Bible says he was, verse 19 says, he was a righteous man and he was not wanting to to, uh, disgrace Mary publicly, so he decided to divorce her secretly. And then when the angel told the fullest story, the Bible says about him, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He was willing, or Mary for that matter, willing to do what God said. There was something about a life that is willing to be used by God. And if you will say to the Lord, God, I'm just, I'm open, I'm willing. I want to open my eyes to what you want to do through me. I want to be willing to follow you in the hard things. I want to be faithful to you in the things, the little things, the big things, the things no one else knows about. I want to be faithful to you. God blesses that. God uses that. And God uses people like that. And perhaps God is reminding you this day that he wants to use you despite the fact that you're broken. Maybe you'd be surprising to others. But if you will be faithful to God, God will work through you. If you're willing, God is able to accomplish his purposes through someone just like you. God loves to use people like us to accomplish his purposes. While he could do all that he does without us, he wants us to join us in his work. And God blesses us through the use of people. There's a second principle I want you to note. God blesses us through the work he accomplishes. And we see something in the story of Christmas about the work that God is accomplishing in our world. And I want to note three things God is working on, three, three things, three works of God that we see in the story of Christmas. First, would you note, he comes for us. God comes for us. Verse 18 says, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. And then verse 20 kind of reiterates this. After he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. God is saying this is the miracle of God coming to us. Or skip down to verse 23 where we see the prophecy in Isaiah. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God is with us. So the Bible is teaching us this. God came for us. When we couldn't reach up to God, he reached down to us. We were unable to reach God who was holy and perfect, and God came to us. The very word Advent, that Latin word from the Latin reminding us about his appearing. He appeared to us. He came to us. He loved us first. He thought of us before we thought of him. Many people think about reaching up to God. We're like a mountain climber. Maybe some of you have climbed uh, some mountain, you know, a lot of in the United States, we have a lot of these mountains, 14ers, 14,000 feet or more. 
I don't think there are very many of those in the state of Illinois. I'm, I, mean, I think you're going to have to travel some distance to find something that big, but perhaps some of you have climbed a mountain like that. And then there are even the great, mighty mountains of our world, the highest mountain that have been climbed. Many people climb Mount Everest and lose their life or endanger their life climbing it. And maybe you thought, if I could just work hard enough and try enough, I could reach up to God. Or maybe we think of the analogy of a, of a spaceship. In my lifetime, I watched people walk on the moon. You younger folks haven't seen that, but I've seen in my lifetime people walk on the moon, and now there's talk of people going all the way to Mars. It might be a one-way trip, I don't know, but all the way to Mars, this vast distance. And you might think if I have enough ingenuity and enough talent and enough hard work and enough effort and enough money, perhaps something like that could be done. But what if the mountain is just astronomically higher? The distance is infinitely more. How could we ever reach God? And the Bible tells us when none of us can work hard enough or be smart enough or do enough good things or somehow have enough talent or gain enough wealth to ever reach up to God. So God reached down to us. God is with us. The Lord came to us and he loved us and thought about us. And it's the reminder at Christmas that God came to us when we couldn't come to him. The first work I said God does is he comes for us. The second is he saves us. In verse 21, the Bible says, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what's been conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Don't pick a family name, Joseph. Pick the name Jesus, Savior, because he will save his people from their sins. Listen, the Bible is teaching us this truth. We are lost without Christ. We're lost, and we need to be saved. And you might think, that sounds odd. I don't feel lost. Why would I need to be saved? I, I, uh, there's a guy in our church who apparently was on this cruise. There's a crew in a cruise recently where this man fell overboard at some point in the night. A guy named James Grimes fell overboard. He, there could have been some alcohol involved in this, apparently. And sometime in the middle of the night, he fell into the ocean. And they didn't find him for a while. I mean, no one saw him fall overboard, apparently, but they realized he was missing, and they began a search, and then they realized something had happened. And they called the U.S. Coast Guard, and the Coast Guard began a search. For 20 hours, James Grimes treaded water in the Gulf of Mexico, 20 hours, through a night, through an entire day almost, and to the next night, 20 hours treading water. And the Coast Guard did their search, and somehow, almost miraculously, in that vast ocean, they found this one man, and they were able to rescue him. And the Bible says we are lost without Christ in this vast ocean of sin. And there is no hope of us ever swimming to land or making it or being rescued in our own merit. We're lost. But Christ saves us. That is, Christ lived the life we couldn't live. God came to us, and Jesus lived the life that none of us have lived, the perfect life. He was worthy, therefore, to die the death we deserved. He died in our place. I'm the sinner. You're the sinner. We're the broken ones. Jesus died in our place on that cross. 
He provided the miracle we need. Christ rose from the dead. And we have the promise that if we will repent of our sins and place our trust in Jesus and his death and resurrection and receive him as Savior, he'll save us. And in a few minutes, we'll pray together. And I'm, I'm praying that if you don't know Christ as Savior, you realize that you're lost without Christ and that you need to be saved, not just reformed and not just some more religion and not just to try harder, but you need Christ and he can save you. That's what Jesus does. That's why he came. He saves us. And then thirdly, would you note, he plans for us. He plans for us. In verse 22, the Bible says this, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. That is, long, hundreds of years before, Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said these words. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel. Long before you were ever born, God planned for you. Long before the birth of Jesus, God had planned for him to come. In fact, really, all of this chapter, all of the genealogy, all of those who went before, it's a part of God's plan for us. God knew we were going to live in this world. God knew we were going to have the needs that we have. God knew about our brokenness, and God came into this world for us, for you. He planned for you. He knew about your needs. He, he knew about your issues. He knew about your brokenness. He knew about your problems, and Jesus came into this world for you. And if you'll receive him as Savior, he'll save you. Some of you are believers, and you've never realized that God has a purpose and plan for you beyond yourself. God didn't make you just to live for yourself, just to have some blessings that you hold on to. God made you for something more. And he wants you to make a difference in this brief space of time that we call life. And he's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And I want to encourage you not to waste your life. Many will waste their life, never really considering God's bigger plan and God's bigger purpose. And I want you to consider that God made you. Long before you were ever born and long before you ever had a need, God prepared for you. And he's, he sent this man, Jesus, for you. He, he sent Emmanuel. God is with us, for us. And it's the ultimate blessing. God has provided this great blessing for you because he wants you to know Christ as Savior. And he wants you to follow Christ as Lord. And he wants you to live a life that counts and that makes a difference. So I want us to bow together for a word of prayer, and I want to lead us in two areas of prayer. First, for some of you who need to trust Christ as Savior, and then for some who know Christ as Savior but need to follow his purpose and plan. Would you just bow with me right where you are? Just bow your head. And there are some of you here who, when I talked about the need to be saved, God, God spoke to your heart about that. That's you. You're a sinner who needs a Savior. Maybe you've tried to be good enough, but you'll never be good enough. You've tried to work hard enough. You can never work hard enough to reach heaven. We don't need reform. We need salvation. We are lost without Christ. We're drowning without Christ. But if the Holy Spirit is convicting you that you're a sinner who needs a Savior, today you could be saved. Christ came into this world for you. Would you just acknowledge that before God? God, I know I've sinned against you. Would you just acknowledge that? God knows it. You know it deep inside. God, I've sinned against you. But you tell me in your word that you came into this world for me. Tell him, Lord, I, I believe you died on that cross for me. You were worthy because you lived the perfect life. And you died in my place on that cross. 
And God, you provided the miracle I needed in the resurrection. You rose from the dead, and I can have that same promise of life everlasting. And so if from your heart you mean this, you could pray a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I want to turn from my sin. I want to repent of my sin, and I want to place my trust in you, your death and resurrection, and I want to ask you to save me. And if you mean that, Christ will save you. Right where you are, you can be saved this day. Give your life to Christ, would you? Give your life to Christ. And Christian, let me say a word to you. When I talk about God having a plan for you, maybe you've, you've known that in theory, but you've not lived it out in purpose. And I wonder if today you wouldn't say, God, I recognize that you are Lord, not me. And I've lived my life sometimes as though I'm in charge and not you. As though my plans are what count and not yours. So this day, Lord, I want to get this right. And I want to recognize that you made me for a reason. Help me to be faithful. Maybe others would see me and say, that's a surprising person for God to use. Or they see the brokenness that's a part of my life. But I want to be faithful to place my trust in you. I want to be willing to be used by you. And I want to believe that you can use someone like me to accomplish your purposes. So I say yes to you today. You are Lord. Yes. You are Savior. Yes. I want to follow you. And Father, I want to thank you for this great blessing of Jesus. Exactly what we need. Exactly who you are. Thank you for this great blessing. And I pray, Lord, you'll help us to know you as Savior and then to live for you as Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.